a Radio 191 FM podcast. You're tuned in to the R1 News, your stop for news and current affairs on the airwaves, 11 to 12 weekdays here on Radio 191 FM, Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi. Tēnā koutou, tēnā auta. This is R1 News here on Radio 1, Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi 91 FM. Kou kaia tēnei. Coming up on the show today, we have the weather and headlines. We speak to University of Otago Senior Lecturer in Environmental Health, Dr Alex McMillan, about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's recent pitch for mass conversion to plant-based diets, in reference to a 2020 study Dr McMillan was involved in on a similar topic. We talk to AIDS Epidemiology Group Leader Dr Sue McAllister about 2021's Encouraging AIDS Statistics and previously titled AIDS Foundation's Decision to Change Their Name. First up, here are the headlines and weather. The R1 News Headlines. The World Health Organization's Emergency Committee meets early next week to decide whether monkeypox needs to be declared a global threat. While monkeypox is not a new virus, the way it has been behaving recently differs from the way it has historically. Roughly 1,600 cases of monkeypox have been recorded across 39 countries. Only seven of the nations where the virus is endemic have reported a death from monkeypox. A person who opened fire on a man's car outside Tolpiri School in Waikato is yet to be arrested. The shooting occurred at 9.30am yesterday on Tuesday. The shooter fired bullets at the victim's car, causing glass to shatter over the occupants. The victim was released from Waikato Hospital by 5pm yesterday after being treated for abrasions caused by the shattered glass. Police are pursuing the shooter through various leads and are working to uncover dash cam or CCTV footage from the area around the time of the incident. Waikato West Area Commander Inspector Will Lauren told publication staff police will be following up on information received by the public and will speak with a number of people on Wednesday. China has begun training for Solomon Islands police following a controversially received security pact between the two countries. In the wake of this development, New Zealand has begun to work on an independent agreement with the Solomon Islands. The two countries are to begin developments on a maritime security work plan as described to Newsroom by Defence Minister Penny Hinare. Hinare spoke to Newsroom from Singapore following the prestigious Defence Summit, explaining that Aotearoa and the Solomon Islands had agreed on a small work plan for increased collaboration in the maritime security space. Hinare declined to go into details on the plan, but described the development as a positive sign. Protesters from a group called the Freedom and Rights Coalition have gathered outside Te Aratai College in Christchurch, where Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern speaks this morning. The protest has been advertised by the group on social media under the title Emergency Protest 1. A reporter with the NZ Herald recounts protesters shouting, Shame on police, give us our jobs back and you have destroyed our lives. Signs held by the protesters read, Human Rights Violations... Unagenda is the work of Satan and $55 million of media corruption. The NZ Herald describes a heavy police presence outside the school. Netball New Zealand and the national selectors have named 27 trialists in the lead-up to next month's Canterbury Netball Series and Birmingham Commonwealth Games. From the 20th of June, the trialists will attend a four-day camp in Wellington where the national side will be selected for the series against the New Zealand A-team, Aotearoa men and an invitational team. The camp will also decide the trend to travel to Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games running from July 28th to August 8th. That was the headlines. Now for weather. The R1 News Weather. 
Today in Atipati, the projected high is 8 degrees, around midday, dipping to 4 degrees later tonight. The weather is mostly cloudy, with winds travelling at around 43 kilometres. Light showers are expected throughout the day. Tomorrow, Thursday, will bring similar weather, with Friday clearing up for a bit for sunny patches of sky across the region. That was the R1 News Headlines. Catch up at r1.co.nz forward slash news or find us at Radio 191 FM on Twitter or R1 News NZ on Instagram and tune in to R1 News at 11am on weekdays. You're listening to R1 News on Radio 1 with Kaya Kahurangi Jameson. That was the headlines and weather. Coming up, we speak to University of Otago Senior Lecturer in Environmental Health, Dr Alex McMillan, about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's recent pitch for mass conversion to plant-based diets. But first, here is Cicadas 3 by Welcome at NZ. The time is 8 minutes past 11. Stay tuned into Radio 1. Break up down either way you're losing friends But you learn to let go of the spreadsheet in the end Straight let Nothing new, nothing strange, but it's a sorry state, same for the ones that stay.
You just heard Welcomer with Cicadas 3. This is R1 News on Radio 1 with Kaya Kahurangi Jameson. The time is 11 minutes past 11. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, encouraged global governments to support a transition to plant-based food consumption around the world at a recent international climate summit held in Germany. Research conducted and published by the IPCC indicates that global carbon emissions would be massively reduced by a greater global uptake of the vegan diet. IPCC expert reviewer Dr Peter Carter said the global climate catastrophe could not be averted without the elimination of meat and dairy from diets, saying, ethically all unnecessary methane sources have to be cut out as fast and far as feasible. That means global veganisation is now a survival imperative. Veganism can not only significantly benefit the environment, but also our individual health. A study conducted at the University of Otago in early 2020 revealed, quote, increased uptake of plant-based diets in New Zealand could sustainably reduce greenhouse gas emissions while greatly improving population health and saving the healthcare system billions of dollars in the coming decades. Dr Alex McMillan, Senior Lecturer in Environmental Health and Senior Author of the 2020 study, joins us now to discuss the original study and IPCC's recent proposal. Kia ora, Alex. Alex, are you there? Nice to talk to you. Kia ora, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Your team created a New Zealand-specific food emissions database to model climate, health and healthcare system cost impacts based on a range of dietary scenarios. Did you consider the full life cycle of each product, including production, packaging and distribution, or was the focus predominantly on the implications of consuming different types of food? Yeah, so what we did was we looked at all the life cycle analyses that were available to us and where there were New Zealand life cycle analyses, we used those. And where there weren't, where there hadn't been any New Zealand-specific life cycle analyses, we adapted international ones to New Zealand special circumstances. So, yeah, we considered all the elements of the life cycle of these products. But what was quite surprising was that it was um, the emissions in the production and growing of um, these different food products that was most significant. And things like transport and packaging um, were much made much smaller contributions to the overall um, emissions of these food products. And so, what what um, the message out of that uh, part of the research was that. Was much what we choose to eat is much more important than where it comes from and how it's got here. What did your study reveal to be the diet which was most friendly to both the climate and population health? Yeah, so we found that, like very much like um, the international studies, that um, it's uh, meat and dairy products and um, animal proteins, and as well as highly processed foods that. Um, come with the most emissions per kilo. Um, and then we modelled um, sort of some dietary scenarios for the average adult diet. Um, and we showed that every step along the way to reducing our, uh, our animal protein intake and towards a plant-based diet um, was really good for the climate and for health. Um, but what's really important to note is that there were things that we can't 
um, yet put in these kinds of modelling. What we're modelling at the moment is their kind of industrial food system, so the kinds of foods that you buy in the supermarket. Whereas we know that um, that lots of uh, groups, especially low-income households, but also really importantly for Māori and Pacifica families, that um, wild-caught food, mahinga kai, kai moana, um, are really important parts of um, of uh, many people's diet and that we aren't able to count the emissions from those in our modelling at the moment. So what we're talking about is supermarkets kind of bought um, animal proteins which are really high in emissions and that we should be reducing as much as possible. New Zealand officials successfully argued the term sustainable to be used in the summary document of the recent IPCC report as opposed to the term plant-based. How do you think a sustainable diet differs from a plant-based one, if at all? And what would you suspect is the intention behind this change of wording? Yeah, so this was really concerning. And what we know um, what we know that happens is that between the scientific um, analyses and in the main report and the summary for policy makers these executive summaries um, there's a whole process where um, where governments are able to kind of argue around the wording and water down quite a lot of scientific statements and this was one of the scientific sort of statements that was able to be watered down by governments um, including the New Zealand government and that was really on behalf of our um, meat and dairy industry. So they were um, really arguing not to have plant-based as a statement in, the exec- in that um, summary for policymakers because, we, because our meat and dairy production is so important to our economy. So it wasn't really about the science. It was much more about essentially uh, the, vested inter- the vested interests of large um, commercial operators um, that enabled that watering down to happen. And we see that across um, across the, the, the sort of um, the statements made in these, these summaries for policymakers because that's the point at which government, um, driven by big commercial interests within countries, can water down the scientific statements. And that's of real concern to, um, to the public, I think, and to... Um, our ability to take effective climate action. And in fact, the IPCC mitigation report itself identified more than 15 times that corporate, um, that corporate interest, corporate lobbying um, and commercial uh, influence over policy making um, is, is our major barrier to effective climate action. So this was a really powerful example of exactly that. Findings from your 2020 study indicate the healthcare system could save up to $20 billion over the lifetime of the current population if a mass uptake of veganism occurs. Critics of a national transition to plant-based diets might argue that the money the healthcare system could save would not cover that which the country would lose by eliminating meat and dairy industries, which generated roughly $30 billion in combined export over 2020. With this in mind, do you believe the benefits of a mass uptake of plant-based diets, including climate and individual wellness benefits, outweigh the money New Zealand could potentially lose in export? Uh, I, I think that estimate of um, 
I think our estimate of loss of exports is a, is a scaremongering um, tactic on behalf of the industry. Um, what we know is that our, um, our food production uh, sector um, needs to make a major transition. Um, and that's not just because of the emissions that are coming from that sector, but also as many farmers will, are already experiencing because the, our current food production system is not resilient to the climate impacts that are already being felt for things like drought, especially. Um, and our food system in general is not resilient to things like climate shocks, but also global economic shocks and things like um, conflict globally that um, disrupt our uh, our our ability to import food um, in, a, in a cheap way. So, so there are a whole lot of reasons why our agricultural sector uh, needs to um, transform itself. And in doing so, to continue to be a highly productive and profitable sector, but also a sustainable one. So I don't think it's, uh, it, it's really disingenuous to compare uh, compare a scaremongering uh, loss of loss of earnings there with the with the health sector gains that, that could be made by every every step along the way towards a more plant based diet. One of the things that the other things that was surprising was how much of a saving can occur um, within the health system just from small changes in diet. So, so when we talk about these tens of billions of dollars in savings to the health system over the lifetime of the average adult, that was that's occurring even just with quite small changes towards the plant-based diet. So we're not talking about having to go fully vegan. But every step along the way towards that comes with huge um, billions of dollars of savings for the health system. What steps do you think Aotearoa's government could be taking to support a transition to a national uptake of a plant-based diet, as the IPCC suggests? I, I think that um, there are a number of things that the government could be doing. The first one is for agricultural sector to um, need to be account, accountable for its emissions um, within the um, emissions reduction plan and within the... Um, the ETS, um, that their emissions need to be costed and accounted for, um, and then a supported just transition for the farming sector needs to occur. Um, but on the consumption side, there are also things that the government could do to ensure that the shift towards the plant-based diet is really fair and equitable. Because at the moment, we know there's a huge demand for more plant-based foods by um, relatively privileged um, people in New Zealand society, um, including from students, in fact, um, and that and that a desire to eat less meat and more um, healthy fruits and vegetables and whole grains um, and plant-based proteins is um, is growing. Um, but it's inequitable. So many households are not able to consistently put any kind of meal on the table for their kids at the moment, and so there's a whole lot of um, policy that would need to be put in place to make sure that um, that any shift can occur fairly and affordably, um, and to, and benefit 
um, the lowest income children in particular and the lowest income adults. And that includes policies like taking the GST of healthy um, fresh fruits and vegetables and um, plants and plant supporting uh, institutional leadership, things like shifting hospitals and schools towards um, providing plant-based meals um, while they're doing their job um, at schools and hospitals, um, and providing other kinds of um, uh, taxation mixes that support shifts. Ngā mihi, Alex. Thank you for speaking to me. Kilda, thanks so much, Kaya. That was Dr. Alex McMillan, Senior Lecturer at the University of Otago's Department of Environmental Health, on the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change's recent proposal for global governments to support a mass uptake of plant-based diets. Coming up, we speak to AIDS Epidemiology Group Leader Dr. Sue McAllister about 2021's encouraging AIDS statistics and the previously titled AIDS Foundation's decision to change their name. But first, here is Judah Kelly with Apathy here on R1 News on Radio 1. Do you find it easy to fall for someone new? Don't you find it funny Somebody you once knew You like business pens, cool shirts, blazer at a top hat Are you insecure to give into that? I said you're staring into mine Was I insecure to give into that? Love me, listen, love me, well, I'm, I'm missing you out. 
before the shotgun line out Then I'll take it but I can't keep causing your doubt I know it's kinda hard because I want this And I just noticed something on my mind I just think about you all the time I just think about you all the time I just think about you all the time I just think about it This is the R1 News on Radio 1 91FM. Te reo irirangi kōtahi. You are tuned in to Radio 1 91FM. You just heard Judah Kelly with Apathy. This is R1 News with Kaya Kahurangi Jameson. 2021 was a monumental year in summary for New Zealand's battle against AIDS and HIV. The number of people diagnosed with HIV in Aotearoa dipped to its yearly lowest since 2001, with a 51% drop in cases from the average of the previous five years. In May of this year, a spokesperson for the Ministry of Health told news publication Stuff, we are tracking well to meet international goals to eliminate local HIV transmission. Decreasing infections, particularly among men who have sex with men who live in New Zealand, is a great achievement towards achieving health equity. Earlier this month, the AIDS Foundation celebrated its first full year with no AIDS-related deaths recorded in New Zealand. In acknowledgement of this milestone, the Foundation has announced it will be renamed to reflect the broad range of services it provides now that AIDS cases and death rates have significantly declined since the Foundation's establishment in 1985. The Foundation, which has been renamed the Burnett Foundation, elected in elected the new title in memory of and tribute to Bruce Burnett, AIDS prevention pioneer and the Foundation's co-founder. We are now joined by AIDS epidemiology group leader Dr Sue McAllister to discuss the decline we have been seeing in AIDS cases and deaths across the country. Kia ora Sue. Kia ora Kaya. Thanks, thanks very much for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Could you please briefly describe the difference between a sexually transmitted infection, such as HIV, and a sexually transmitted disease, such as AIDS? Yeah, good question, because I think it is something that um, people do get a wee bit mixed up with. Um, So HIV is the virus, um, and most people, if they um, get HIV, they will be tested early, they will have what's called a CD4 count, which is a, an indication of their immune status. So their CD4 count, if they're diagnosed, tested and diagnosed early, it will be quite high, sitting at around over 500. If they're not diagnosed early, then people can have that CD4 count can, can decline and then they can get what's known as an AIDS um, defining illness. So AIDS is really the late stage of HIV. And really now in New Zealand and actually a lot of the world, um, most people are not getting AIDS. Um, That's something that in the 80s and the early 90s when there was no treatment, um, people were being diagnosed with HIV and then progressing very quickly to an AIDS defining illness and more often than not actually dying from AIDS. Now with really good treatments, really good testing, people with HIV, with the virus, can actually live quite a long, normal lifespan um, without ever getting 
AIDS or from dying from AIDS. So things have changed quite considerably over the years. So that's the difference. The AIDS is very much late stage of HIV, and it's usually because of a late diagnosis of HIV. The decline in diagnosed cases of AIDS in Aotearoa has been relatively drastic over the past few years. Cases per year averaged up of upwards of 150 for almost 20 years prior to 2019, while in 2021 just 67 people were diagnosed with AIDS. Factors like COVID-19 lockdowns could be partially responsible for this dip, limiting interactions which might transmit the disease. However, it is also important to address testing rates. How did 2021's testing rates, in comparison to diagnostic statistics, compare to previous year's testing rates? Yeah, so again, another good question. I think, yeah, it's really important to, to really be clear what we're talking about, that the decline that we've seen over the last um, two to three years has been in HIV. Some people being diagnosed with HIV rather than AIDS. Um, and so, yeah, it's really, really good news that since the peak um, in 2016, there has been continuous decline. Um, so last year, there was um, 67 people diagnosed with HIV in New Zealand, and that was down from 98 in the previous year, so there was a 32% decline, and that's just continued to, to, to decline since 2016. Testing rates, um, we're not able to completely get a full picture of that, but it would seem that that's not the major thing that's impacted on those um, lower, lower numbers of people being diagnosed with HIV. COVID undoubtedly was had an impact in the last two years, um, but also... There have been considerable changes in prevention methods available to people with um, to prevent HIV. So for many, many years, all that was really available was um, condoms. That's changed quite a lot um, more recently. So there's now um, what's known as PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So people who are at increased risk of getting HIV can take this tablet once a day to uh, prevent them getting HIV. So that's a really major breakthrough. And the other thing um, that's changed more recently is with increased testing and getting onto treatment, we now have what's called U equals U or undetectable equals untransmissible. So if someone is diagnosed early with HIV and they get onto treatment, then their what's called their viral load is very, very low. It's undetectable and therefore they actually can't transmit the virus to sexually to their partners. So that's a really good breakthrough. So there's now a combination of different prevention measures and I think that's been one of the major impacts rather than the testing rates. In 2021, television miniseries It's a Sin aired overseas in England and became available on TVNZ for free viewing. The drama, which amassed record viewing numbers for the channel, coincided with British HIV Testing Week. The Terence Higgins Trust of England reported a significant spike in HIV tests ordered in a single day following the premiere of It's a Sin, with 8,200 tests ordered, compared to the Trust's previous daily record of 2,800. Do you think a focus on producing media like It's a Sin could support destigmatisation of HIV and education on testing and what to look for? 
Yeah, that that um, television series, it's, and it's just an amazing series and a, uh, just amazing insight and a reminder, I think, of what it was really like for um, men and women who were diagnosed with, with AIDS back in the 80s and 90s. And I think it's really important to remember that that whole stigma and discrimination around HIV actually does still exist today. And while it maybe is not quite as, as bad as what's depicted in that series, um, we um, did a study a couple of years ago um, and interviewed almost 200 people who are living with HIV. And around a third of them reported experienced stigma and discrimination in the previous 12 months. Um, and, and around a third reported some kind of internalised stigma, so feeling guilty, feeling worthless, feeling dirty. So I think for us that was a real indication that stigma and discrimination does still exist. Um, so anything that can happen, anything that we can do, like this TV series or anything to reduce that stigma and discrimination is really, really valuable and important. The newly renamed Burnett Foundation describes changing its name to reflect the, reflect the broad range of services it provides. It provides, however, there is certainly a there is certainly a historically harmful stigma attached to the term AIDS. What impact do you think dissociating from the word AIDS might have for the foundation? Could it support a less stigma? Sig- a less, could it support a less stigmatized and subsequently less intimidating name? perhaps increase testing rates? Yeah, another really good question, Kaya. Um, the, the name Burnett Foundation, I think the AIDS, the AIDS Foundation, formerly the AIDS Foundation, they've been working over the last couple of years to really think about the name change and what best reflects both the history of the New Zealand AIDS Foundation and not forgetting what has gone before in terms of all the real, really strong pioneers that we've had working in this field, but also to really reflect what they are currently doing and the whole um, gamut of work that they're doing in prevention and early testing. Um, so I think the name changes is really welcome. I think AIDS, the word AIDS is still very stigmatising and it, it, it creates perhaps a, a lot of fear in people. Um, so it's, it's a great thing that they've been able to do and changing their name and, and really going forward and thinking about um, the focus over the next few years of elimination, actually, of HIV in New Zealand. So we're always going to have people living with HIV in New Zealand, but to eliminate new transmissions is the goal of the HIV sector. And I think... This name change, removing stigma, removing discrimination, all of those things really work towards that. The stigma around AIDS and HIV diagnoses can make testing a very intimidating process. Where can people turn for testing and support if they're concerned about having contracted an STI or developed an STD? Yeah, so there's various um, ways that people can get tested and I think the thing that you mentioned there as well about other STI, sexually transmitted infections, it's really important to remember that, that HIV is, is not the only one, that syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia are also very prevalent in New Zealand. So places like um, this uh, sexual health clinics throughout New Zealand, 
local um, general practitioner. Um, the other way is to go onto the Burnett Foundation website and order a home test. Um, so that's, that's another way that if people are perhaps um, not prepared or a little bit worried perhaps about going to a sexual health clinic or to their own GP, then it's certainly available, um, the home testing kits online. And that's not just for HIV, but also for the other STIs. Gamehe, so thank you for speaking to me. Thank you very much for, for making the time available. Really appreciate that. Kia ora. That was AIDS epidemiology group leader Dr Sue McAllister speaking about 2021's encouraging AIDS statistics and the previously titled AIDS Foundation's decision to change their name to the Burnett Foundation. Earlier on the show, I spoke to Dr Alex McMillan, Senior Lecturer at the University of Otago's Department of Environmental Health, on the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change's recent proposal for for global governments to support a mass uptake of plant-based diets. If you missed anything today, you can catch up online at r1.co.nz slash news, on Spotify at R1 News or in the Radio 1 app. This has been R1 News with Kaya Kahurangi Jameson here on Radio 1, Tereo Irirangi Ko Tahi 91 FM. Tune in on weekdays from 11am to midday for news coverage and interviews on Otipoti's student radio station. The time is 19 minutes to 12. Here is Pretty Stooked from Stay. Keep it locked on Radio 1.
if I just said Cone Creek.
Busting out the checkbooks so you don't have to. Thanks, New Zealand on air. You rule.
was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.